Today, on Commitment to Truth. We're tempted and we want what we shouldn't have because we think that's going to complete us. But God is saying to you and I, you know, that man, that woman that you think that you need to perfect you or complete you is not the answer. Listen, your husband is not the answer. And that creates marital tension because I want him to do this for me and he doesn't do this for me. It causes a rift in the marriage because you're putting upon your husband something that he cannot be apparently. That's why people go from job to job to job to job to job to job to job. They're looking to be complete. Relationship after relationship after relationship because there's this inherent desire that I need something else that I deem necessary to complete me. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. So again, living life in Christ is not always easy, right? Uh, And because of this, we all have the tendency and a propensity to drift away from Him. Thus, we're learning in this series and throughout the book of James, uh, it deals with many topics to help us navigate our our responsibility of our faith in God through Christ. And as bond servants of Christ, remember we're learning that God has given us everything we need uh, according to righteousness and good deeds to avoid this drift that actually is 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 (laughs) unavoidable in some cases but uh, many times we are all susceptible to it Uh, and it's nothing to be surprised about because at the end of the day uh, we're all have sinned and falling short of the glory of God and And the scriptures remind us, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And even doubly so, he says, then you make God out of a liar. Because God knows our hearts. (laughs) It is like God tells us, hey, you're going to drift, but know where port is. Right? Know where your hope is. Know where you should remain. Know where you should sell back to when you drift uh, because life just happens frustration just happens relational uh, intensity just happens and it will cause all of our hearts to somehow drift away a degree which ultimately will cause us to run aground or down our plane that being said Today, we're going to deal with more precisely how do we avoid drifting when we are tempted. Anybody ever been tempted? Okay, so my hope is today that we will learn how to not drift even in the midst of our temptation. So please turn with me first to James chapter 1 verse 13. And what is temptation? James chapter 1 verse 13 uh, says this. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. All right, so when you look at this, there's two key words found in this verse. The word tempted and the word tempted. <laughs> All right, the word, first word tempted is, 
it's a Greek word. Uh, it is pronounced para, paradazo, which is to try or to test one's faith, virtue, character, by enticement to sin, to solicit the sin, or the temptations of the devil. All right? The second word is this, is for God cannot be tempted. So there's this temptation that comes upon us that is enticing and soliciting by the devil. But then this word tempted that God cannot be tempted. In other words, it, it is another Greek word that is uh, pronounced uh, aperastos, God, which means God cannot be predisposed or influenced to the temptation to sin. So in other words, you can't even predispose God to sin. Think about that. Sin is not even on his radar. You follow me? In other words, he cannot be influenced at all by sin, period. Period. He's aware of sin, right? Because our sin will separate us from him. But he is not influenced by sin. Think about that for a minute. Because we're sinners, he's not even influenced by our inherent nature. Which says he would not make decisions in his love for you based upon how you act. Right? Because sin, our sins can never ever cause God to change how he feels about us. It's really our reaction towards him. Makes sense. So that being said, we now know that temptation is the enticement to do evil by the evil one. It is the enticements to do evil by the evil one. Right? It's not, it's not God enticing us to do evil, but it's the evil one, Satan and his demonic forces, that would entice you and set you all up, all of us up, to do evil. But then also it's important to know from this verse is God cannot be tempted because himself, he himself cannot be tempted by sin, period. If he can't be tempted, why then is he playing around with us and trying to tempt us? Make sense? So now let's continue as we now know what temptation is. Let's look deeper as it relates to how do we then avoid this drift uh, when we are tempted by the evil one. By the evil one. Verse 14 through 16 says this. Again, James chapter 1. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting the shadow now let's pause there and we're going to look deeper at verses 14 through 16 and, and this is how we can answer the, the the question of how do we avoid drifting when we're tempted here's the first answer to the question is that we should never blame god right so why is that important it's because typically when we sin the sinful tendency is to blame somebody Right? So if I am tempted to sin because my wife frustrates me, I blame my wife, which inherently is saying I'm who? I'm blaming God who gave me my wife. 
Well, you know, I'm doing this because my parents, my parents, they upset me. I can't believe it. They don't respect me. You know, I'm an adult now, right? Oh, my parents, my parents, my parents, my parents, my parents, my parents. God gave you those parents, if you like them or not. So are we saying then to God, well, God, I am blaming you for the type of parents you've given me? Because in his sovereignty, he could have given you a different type of parent but he didn't. You follow me? So our challenge is to understand that we should never blame God. Let's go deeper. So when we are tempted, we're carried away by our own lust. Remember we learned in James 4 verse 1, it says, listen, what's the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Isn't it that if you wage war on the inside of your members? It's our own lust. It's nobody else's lust, but it's mine. The words carried away means this, to draw out. So I am drawn out. I'm lured forth. Think about this. So you hunters and fishermen, listen to what it says. In hunting and fishing as a game is lured from its hiding place. The right lure catches the right fish. The right bait catches the right animal. So, so, so then it says, so man by lure is allured from the safety of self-restraint to sin. Specifically, the language here is transferred to the seduction of a harlot. Never seen a harlot not try to seduce her prey. The word lust means this, is the desire of craving, longing for what is forbidden. So at the end of the day, we all have this inherent lust, those things that just we long for more than we should long for. Could be shopping, could be shoes. <laughs> it could be thrift stores. Uh, there's a place called Red, White, and Blue in our area. And some of you know the, the right, right? <laughs> so so it, it doesn't have to be something like you know, uh, horns and pitchforks. You follow me? It, it could be simply that, why are you so captivated by hunting season that the world shuts down all around you? And it's all about you because it's hunting season. Carried away something that I long for. So we must take ownership for our own desires to do what is forbidden. Then you also look at verse 14 is that when we are tempted, we are also enticed by our own lust. So we are carried away, like lured away, but then also we're enticed. The word enticed means to bait again, to catch by bait, to entice by exclusion. So think about that. When you can't have it, when you're excluded from it, you want it. Right? It's almost like when God says, no, but I want it. It's kind of like when, when our kids are growing up, we said, no, you can only have two cookies after dinner. No, no, I want four. Then you find them sneaking in the kitchen, <laughs> trying to get four, right? Even if you give them four after dinner, they sneak in and try to get six. I mean, however, right? You could give them eight cookies after dinner. They're going to sneak back in the kitchen because they, it, it, don't put your hand in the cookie jar. 
Don't do that. So our inherent sin nature is, oh, because you told me, don't do it. I'm excluded from it. I'm going to try to do it anyway. So, so that's the difference here when it comes to being enticed. Therefore, it's connected to being deceived. I am deceived because I think I need that more than I really need God. The word lust, it means the lusts are our own. It means pertaining and belonging to oneself. So think about this for a minute. When we are tempted by our own lust, it is what is pertaining to you. Maybe totally different than what is pertaining to someone else. So I think that is a, probably an indicator to say, uh, keep your eyes on yourself and worry about what you need to worry about, what causes you to sin rather than being in someone else's Kool-Aid to be concerned so much about what causes them to sin. It's my own lust. So, so then you also find in verse 15, we are tempted. When we are tempted, then lust gives birth to sin, it says. The words give birth means this, give birth to sin. It, it begins to now bear sin, produce the fruit of sin from the seed of lust. So you have this, 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 if you would, this inevitable thing that would eventually happen when we give in to our lust. It's going to bear the fruit of sin intentionally or unintentionally. Then you also find in verse 15, when we are tempted, our sin brings forth death. So do you, do you see the matriculation? It's like, okay, when I give in to it, and then eventually it consumes me, eventually it what? Births sin, and sin then leads to what? So it should tell us I should probably guard myself against what? Being tempted by my own lust. Having this self-awareness and knowing that, okay, well, this does tempt me, so maybe I shouldn't play in that playground. So a lot of times people say, well, okay, well, you know, pastor, you know, does the Bible really say you shouldn't drink? Well, the Bible says you should drink and, should, you know, and don't get drunk. But what does it inevitably lead to? I've never seen anyone drink and not sin. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, think about this just practically. If I need to wind down with a glass of wine, something's wrong. It's exposing a void in my heart. Why isn't Jesus enough? Well, you know, my culture says I need to, you know, we celebrate the holidays with the, why isn't Jesus enough? Give you a quick story. I was over someone's house, and this is when our kids were little. And inevitably, I get set up. And, and at this party, everyone was turning it up and, you know, having a good old time. And immediately, they put me in a spot. So, hey, pastor, what do you think about drinking? I'm like, why do you do that to me? <laughs> it's like, 
So I just, I was very candid when I am with everyone. I said, hey, listen, there was a time in my life I used to drink. I would drink you on the table. Matter of fact, I probably was a walking alcoholic and didn't even know it. I said, but now I don't, I refrain. I said, because it makes me someone I used to be. So why do I want to keep dibbing and dabbing in that, right? So that's, and I just said, hey, but whatever you want to do, I keep on, I have young kids, and I just still hung around them. Because I just feel that, listen, if I can't train my kids and teach our kids wrong and right to live in real life, I'm failing as a parent. So I'm not going to just pluck you out now that, oh, everyone's tipping, you know, tipsy and drinking and all this stuff. So inevitably, this is what happened. Lust gives birth to sin. Sin gives birth to death. Over time, when night falleth, I hear this. Bloom, 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 bloom. The father-in-law and the son-in-law is having a fist fight. So God always gives room for the gospel. <laughs> so what I said, I said, I, I shouted. I'm like, now I'm in the middle of all this fighting. I said, see? You asked me. You asked me. That's what I said. So you, you all asked me. That's all I said. <laughs> so it, 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 listen, here's the deal. It may not even affect you, but it, it affect your children. Th that's, we don't think about that. And you say, well, how does it affect my children? Well, listen, so, so maybe you're saying to your son or daughter, son, you shouldn't do that. But you know what they're saying to you? But you do that. Remember, sin cannot be compartmentalized. But that's the way we're wired. We think, oh, well, you know, I can do this and be okay with God and, and it's not going to affect anybody else around here because I'm just having my little grace fun over here. Because it's by grace I'm saved, not by works, let any man shall boast. It's not going to cause me to go to hell, but it's going to infect and affect people all around you in some unique way. Sin kills. Think about this logically, just to dwell on this. Why in the world would they call where I grew up a liquor store a spirit store? <laughs> That's why Ephesians says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God makes you act differently, just like spirits drinking makes you act differently. So why would I want to do that? It will inevitably, and that's just drinking. Could be gossip. Just, we're going to talk about this later. Could be your tongue. Just be quiet. You don't have to comment on everything. Because words never die. And words kill. You, do, you see, so I'm not just dwelling on 
the drinking part, but that's just an example because there is this going thing now of Christian liberties. Oh, yeah, you can just do it. And it's happening in Bible studies in some places. Because they have such freedom. But it could be my speech, could be my thoughts. It could be anything that ultimately leads to sin. Cut it off at the root because the ultimate end is death. Now, what does this mean? This word death means it's comprising of all the miseries that arise from sin. As well as physical death as the loss of a life consecrated to God and blessed in him on earth to be followed by the wretchedness of hell. You may be saved, but it may send someone else to hell. Because we should be the image of a living God. We should be the people that become distinctive apart from the world. Sweet smelling aromas, right? The light, the salt. And if we're not being light and salt and aroma, in other words, distinctively different than the world, how can they hear unless someone is sent? How can they hear unless what? Someone preaches. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's you and me. And if we're tainted and looking too much like the world, how will they make a choice for Jesus or not? Or they'll make a choice for Jesus of saying no. If everyone acts like you, you're not distinctively different than me. Why do I want something that you proclaim that I need? You're no different than me. You're doing the same thing, acting the same way, same speech, same actions. There's no transformational work that I see in you. Why do I need your Jesus? Why? But you will, will, will participate in your liberty. Oh, go have the liberty. Go have the fun. And you'll continue to look like everyone else. Or will you begin to say, you know what? Others may, but I may not. Will you begin to say, well, you know, um, I will even refrain from meat if it means your salvation. You understand what Paul was talking about, right? Again, your meat could be uh, meat. It could be meat. But your meat could be, you know what? I'm just not going to listen to that kind of music anymore. Because really all it does is stirs up memories. But, but it's oldies. You know, it's oldies. It's like what I was growing up. As, I just like the oldies. But you know what the oldies do? Make you act like your old you. Oh, that was when music was clean. But yet you're thinking about your old boyfriend. Because that's what music does. It teleports you. 
it teleports you and takes you back to where you were at the moment you first heard it. So that's my lust. That's my lure. God, do I need to cut it off so it doesn't give birth to sin? Sin gives birth to death. Now, I'm just giving you tons of examples. It's up to the Spirit of God to tell you what. But we should be open to whatever could spark lust that leads to sin, that leads to death. No stone should be left unturned. God should have the freedom to deal with any area of our lives, any freedoms, any liberties that we have, it should be able to say, God, if that leads to that, that leads to that, oh, okay, thank you for revealing that to me, Lord. I'm going to stop doing this because I know my sin tendencies. And so many times, followers of Jesus Christ continue to fall into the same trap over and over and over again, right? It's, again, if you're a fisherman, right? I'm not a super good fisherman at all. I can't catch many fish, but I like fishing. But I, I know that there's certain lure to catch certain fish. And you can continue to drop that lure in there and that fish will continue to bite. Because that's what attracts them. And there's nothing new under the sun. And the evil one will continue to drop the bait in front of you until you say, I'm not falling for the trap anymore. How do we avoid drifting when we're tempted? Can't blame God because it really is us. It's our decisions that we make. Verse 17 and 18 gives us our second and actually final point. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting or shadow. In the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we will be a kind of first fruits among his creations. We can never, ever, ever forget our heavenly benefits. Remember, we are, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're part of a heavenly kingdom with benefits that comes from our heavenly Father and through the power of his Holy Spirit. So if you look deep at verse 17, he has given us every good thing and every perfect gift. So he, he tells us, don't fall for the lust because you have everything you need. Don't fall for the bait or the lure because you have everything you need already. This means more specifically the word gift or perfect gift means this, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. We're tempted and we want what we shouldn't have because we think that's going to complete us. 
But God is saying to you and I, you know, uh, that man, that woman that you think that you need to perfect you or complete you is not the answer. It's not the answer. Listen, your husband is not the answer. And that creates marital tension. Because I want him to do this for me, and he doesn't do this for me, he doesn't act this way for me. It causes a rift in the marriage because you're, you're, you're putting upon your husband something that he cannot be, apparently. That he cannot fulfill, or she can fulfill, or your kids can fulfill, or your parents. I mean, it's just, just fill in the blank. That's why people go from job to job to job to job to job to job to job. They're looking to be complete. Relationship after relationship after relationship because there's this inherent desire that I need something else that I deem necessary to complete me. But he said, no, you have every good thing and perfect gift that comes from above, everything that leaves you wanting nothing necessary to complete you. So don't fall for the lust. Don't think that all the things that I've described previously is what you need to complete you so you can have a wonderful holiday season. Huh? Listen, if a parent needs this, if a parent during the holiday season needs this, why need all the kids together on holiday season? You're going to get your heart broke. Especially the older they get and the more they fall in love. You're going to get your heart broke. That shouldn't complete you. That shouldn't make the holidays good for you. Jesus is enough. Right? Hitting sales numbers and, and, and being profitable. and Yeah, that's all good. And that should be a businessman or woman's aim or goal. Absolutely. That's your job. But it shouldn't complete you. Because what if you have a down year? If your bank account is what is driving you to complete you, well, if I get a little more money, add more zeros, more zeros, more zeros, more zeros. And then life hits and you get less zeros and less zeros and less zeros, then you always feel a void and incomplete. Then you will be tempted to gain the whole world and lose your soul. Second Peter chapter three, verses two through four, reminds us of our good and perfect benefits. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of what? Lust. He's given us everything. Then verse 18, digging deeper there, is that we are, you need to know, and we need to always remember that we are God's very best. Thus he will protect us. We are God's very, I don't care 
how much you've been in sin, you're still God's very best. He wouldn't have died for you and purchased you. I don't care what kind of life you've had up until this day, you are still God's very best and he purchased you. He wouldn't have purchased you and redeemed you for himself if you weren't his very best. So that being said, listen to what it says. He says, we will be a kind of a first fruits. First fruit says, when it's time to offer an offering up to the Lord, it is the best. And that's what God views you and I as the best. So you don't need something else to make you feel better because you're already the what? The best. That being said, the words first fruits means this. The first fruit of the produce of the earth which was offered to God. The first portion of the dough from which sacred loaves were to be prepared. Hence, listen to what it says. The term used of persons consecrated are dedicated to God for all time. That's you and me. That we cannot forget that. So if, if we have a decision of continue to allow that lustful lure to stay in my life, I make a decision and say, no, no, no. I'm consecrated unto God. I belong to him. I'm his very best. I don't need that. I don't need it. Because I'm complete in him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 describes how God protects his very best. No temptation has overtaken you except something that is common to man. So if you're going through something or being tempted or lured by something, it's nothing new. It's nothing new. And thus the importance of the body of Christ because you start realizing after conversing with others, it's like, oh, you too? You too? You too? Oh, man, he's trying to play the same trick on you. But if he isolates you, you think that it's only you, right? Thus the importance of a body, body of Christ, a local a, a group of believers, a community that you fellowship with and get, become intimate with. Because you find encouragement that, oh, he's just trying to play the okie-dokie and, you know, and tempt everyone the same way. Just different packages. And therefore, he says, and God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. So think about this. God will never be tempted by the tempter because nothing can tempt God. And even if the evil one tried to tempt you, God would help you escape that. That's the heavenly benefit. Is that God knows that you're going to be tempted. So therefore, I will provide you, it says, uh, that you will not be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. You see, our heavenly citizenship makes us priceless, which is, equips us fully, which we learn in 2 Peter, but then also protect us perfectly. I'm going to end with this. James 5, verse 19 through 20. It says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death. Remember we're talking about death and cover a multitude of sins. What can call this, uh, I would term it relational recovery. And 
relational recovery is described this way. Relationships are where we grow, where we heal, where we laugh and play, and where we have our most intense experiences of being intimately known and loved. Relationships are also where we struggle. They are the places where shame about who we are can surface, causing us to raise our protective mask and hide our true selves. There are the places where our imperfections show up, causing us to feel dismay over failing someone in some way. They are where our deepest longings for love and connection are at times disappointed and overlooked. They are where we can sometimes experience direct harm that leaves us wounded and closed off. If our most significant wounds happen in relationships with others, and they usually do, then doesn't it make sense that our healing and restoration must also happen in relationships? Relational recovery is that imperfect, courageous, vulnerable act of allowing yourself to know and be known in relationship with others in a way that heals past wounds, changes you, matures you, ripens you into the authentic self you were created to be. James 5, 19 and 20 again says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The words turn back means this, to cause to return, to bring back to the love and obedience to God, to love wisdom and righteousness. You see, no matter how bad it gets, or you get, or I get, we need to help each other turn back. Thank you again for listening to our latest sermon series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.